Welcome to the Buck Stops here, the official audio show of NotInHallOfFame.com, and I'm your host, Kirk Buckner, the owner and the operator of NotInHallOfFame.com and the sister sites, the Fictitious Athlete Hall of Fame, Fictitious Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and the now up and up and at em, United States Athletic Hall of Fame. If you haven't checked that out, please do. If you're a regular listener and follower of the show that Evan Nolan and I do, the weekly Hall of Fame show, you may remember that the WWE really screwed up when it came to their Hall of Fame class. They were lazy, they were late, they took so much time to put everything out to the point where it just felt that they were unprepared. And it didn't just feel like they were unprepared, they were clearly unprepared. They got a lot of flack, and deservedly so, when one of their legacy wing inductions, Ethel Johnson, one of the first African-American women in wrestling, was chosen for that. They announced it the day or during the ceremony, and during the footage, they used the wrong person. Not only did they use the wrong wrestler, the person in question who they used wrestled 20 years after Ethel Johnson debuted. So as all this was sort of coming down the pipeline in the internet wrestling community, uh, Chris Bournet, who did this wonderful documentary that we're going to be talking about, Lady Wrestler, and he's going to tell you how you can watch that, had a great interview with the family of Ethel Johnson. And I reached out to Chris to talk to him about his documentary about Ethel Johnson, why she is this amazing pioneer in the world of wrestling, and just in general. Uh, I think it's a great interview. I'm a little biased. I did it. So without further ado, let's bring in Chris, and I hope you enjoy the show. Chris, thank you so much for being a part of this show. I have been wanting to talk to you almost instantly as soon as everything broke out after the WWE Hall of Fame. I, I almost want to call it a fiasco, but it was certainly certainly an error in what happened to the legacy of Ethel Johnson. Yeah, thanks, Kirk, for having me on. And I think uh, the family of Ethel Johnson just want to see her legacy recognized properly. Um, you know, like me, you know, I don't want to speak for the family. I'm not their, you know, official spokesperson or anything like that. But I, like me, I think they were pleased to see that Ethel received the recognition. They just wanted it to be done in a, in a way that really honored her legacy in, in the right way. Now, you've got a documentary that came out, I think, a couple months ago, but it was you did it a few years ago, I believe, uh, Lady Wrestler, the untold story of African-American women in, in the business, and I learned so much from it. There was, this oh, thank was, you. Yeah, this is, a, I'll admit, a blind spot for me in terms of my okay. own wrestling fandom. Uh, I just, I grew up in the 80s in Canada, and okay. basically that's sort of like WWF country at the time, so... I never really went back to do sort of research on wrestlers, be it male or female, before that time. And whenever I do learn anything, it's usually on other podcasts, uh, like maybe from Jim Cornette or Dave Meltzer uh, or or people of of that ilk. So Uh learning about Ethel was such an eye-opener to me. When did you first become enamored with doing her story? And that of other wrestlers. It's not just her, obviously. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say it was a blind spot for you because it was a blind spot for me. And I'm African-American like Ethel, and I grew up in the same town where her and her sisters and the other women, other African-American women and other women, period, who were the pioneers of women's wrestling where their headquarters was. So, I mean, if it was underground for me and I'm in the place where it all started and went on for decades, no wonder it was underground for you, you know, being being in, a, in another country. 
but how I came, how I became aware of Ethel's story is that most of my career has been in print journalism. Um, I've, I've always had ambitions to be a filmmaker, but, um, I didn't actually, so Lady Wrestler is my first, like, feature length film. You know, I'd done some shorts and some, some small things before that in film, but this is like my first foray into making an actual, like, feature length, uh, documentary or narrative film for that matter. So, uh, back in 2005, when I was working full time at a newspaper called This Week, which is a community newspaper owned by the local daily newspaper here in Columbus, Ohio, uh, the Columbus Dispatch, I would frequently call um, a man who works in public relations, another African American man named Terry Anderson. And oftentimes, when I called Terry, he would say, "There's this really interesting lady that you should interview." So Terry ended up setting up an interview with me and Ethel Johnson toward the end of 2005, and. When I met um, Ethel, I just thought her story was just amazing. I mean, she talked about going all over the world in the 50s, 60s, and 70s as, as a teenager and, you know, 20-something and 30-something young woman and going, you know, all over, like, Canada. Montreal was a, was a place that she went to train and, and wrestle often uh, all over the United States and uh, places like, you know, all throughout Latin America, Mexico, Cuba, before the United States put the embargo in even as far away as Australia and Japan. But then when she would wrestle in the deep South here in the United States, she was subjected to the same Jim Crow laws that all African-Americans were subjected to, meaning she'd have to stay in segregated hotels. She'd have to eat at segregated restaurants or go in the back door of the restaurant, you know, get her food directly from the kitchen, you know, and like, you know, if she happened to be, you know, out about in, in town before or after a wrestling match, she'd have to step off the sidewalk if a white person was approaching her. She, she says a lot of this in the, in the documentary. Mm-hmm. So I wrote Ethel's story up for the Columbus Dispatch, the, the, the local daily newspaper, and it came out in March of 2006 uh, in time for Women's History Month. And it happened to come out the same weekend that Arnold Schwarzenegger, the, you know, the, the movie star and the, the famous bodybuilder, holds an annual fitness festival in Columbus. So Arnold Schwarzenegger's people saw the article and called me at the newspaper and said, hey, we'd love to honor Ethel Johnson with a Lifetime Achievement Award. And so believe it or not, Ethel was always kind of a shy person. She was she was always very dynamic in the ring, but anyone who sees the documentary will find out that she made a, a very conscious effort to keep her personal life and her professional life separate. She didn't even tell her children she was a wrestler. So... By, by the time I interviewed her, Ethel was, had been retired since the late 70s, and she was sort of talking to me sort of like out of a, a, a favor to her daughter, Shelly, who had been trying, Shelly Adams, who had been trying to get Ethel's story kind of documented just so people would know about it, uh, you know, just, just for people to know about her accomplishments, you know, for, for future generations to kind of know about her, her mother. So um, when I... When I ran the idea by, by uh, I called her Miss Ethel, you know, how to respect her being my elder. When I ran the idea by Miss Ethel, she basically said, tell them I said thanks, but no thanks. So I just thought, um, you know, if an international, an internationally recognized person like Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's not only successful in fitness, but, you know, hugely, phenomenally successful in the movie business, sees the value in Ethel's story, then there's obviously something more to it than just one newspaper article. And in my research for uh, researching the article about Ethel, I'd come across a documentary about women's 
women wrestlers from Apple's era called Lipstick and Dynamite. Mm-hmm. And that movie, you know, that movie was great. I, I consider, you know, Lady Wrestler to sort of be a compliment to Lipstick and Dynamite, but Lipstick and Dynamite didn't have interviews with Ethel or any of the other black women. So I just, I just thought, you know, if anyone deserves their own movie, it's these black women who not only dealt with sexism in the industry, but, but racism, not only in the industry, but in the, the world at large. And so I just, I just asked Miss Ethel, I said, would you, would you, you know, I, I said, your story is very, very compelling. Would you uh, be open to being interviewed on camera? And thankfully she said yes. And so that led me to um, find other women. Like, first of all, Ethel's older sister, Babs Wingo, and her younger sister, Marva Scott, were also wrestling legends in their own right. But they had both passed away. Both Babs and Marva had passed away in 2003. So, of course, I didn't get a chance to interview them, but I spoke to their children. Um, well, I spoke to Marva Scott's children. I, I actually was not in touch with um, Babs Wingo's children, but I've since uh, been in touch with them. And... Um, uh, I also got to, t- to interview Ramona Isbell, another uh, African-American female wrestler who retired, who lives in Columbus. And um, in, in the course of my research, just found out there were there were dozens of these, not only African-American women, but just dozens of women wrestlers who had been recruited by a promoter named Billy Wolf back mm-hmm. in the... Well, he, Billy Wolf actually started his wrestling organization in Columbus in the 30s, uh, starting up... He helped launch what was known as the golden age of women's wrestling from the 30s through the 50s. So the African-American women like Ethel and Babs and Marvin and Ramona came in at the tail end of what they call the golden age in the, in the early 50s. So I just, I just thought it was an amazing story, no pun intended, you know, referring to the title of the documentary. And I just, and I just thought Ethel's stories and the stories of women like Ramona and other women were just invaluable and should just be, you know, documented. So that's that's what was the uh, the genesis of the documentary. Now, with Ethel being inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame, that certainly mm-hmm. has brought in a lot more attention to her story and, and to others. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and watching the interview that you did with the family after, and you could just feel mm-hmm. the pain that they had, not because yeah. she was inducted, it was just because they a they didn't contact anyone in the family. Yeah. B, yeah. they used footage from a completely different African-American woman who, A, also doesn't even look like Ethel, and is from a yeah, completely different yeah. era. Yeah, and I, and I think what the family was so upset about was, number one, um, there were multiple ways for the WWE to contact them. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a tremendous honor, but I, you know, I don't know what the WWE's process is for inducting um, wrestlers into their, or, in a, you know, other industry figures into their, their legend hall of fame. I don't know if, you know, with everyone, they, they don't make any attempt to contact the family. I, you know, that's something I'm not privy to at all because number one, neither myself nor did, nor did anyone in the family like campaign for Ethel. You know, like how people campaign for Oscars, like, yes. well, I don't know. If, I don't know if you do know that, but filmmakers and actresses and studios often launch Oscar campaigns you know, where they take out ads and they contact the Academy and say, you know, for your consideration, here's my work, please nominate me for best actress or, or best director or best picture or whatever. That, none of that camp- campaigning took place. So it wasn't even, it wasn't even on anyone, anyone's mind. Although occasionally over the years, people would say to me, oh, this is a really interesting story. You should contact the WWE. But it was just, it was just something that I didn't really, you know, think of or pursue. 
So it came as a total surprise. And the way both myself and the family found out about it was through social media, like through wrestling fans, you know, tagging us on Twitter and Facebook. And I think, you know, so it's not that the, it's not that the WWE needed to contact me. It was just like, uh, Ethel was written up in a very, very lengthy obituary about a year after she passed away in 2018, um, in the New York times. So the WWE, if they were trying to find accurate photos or footage of Ethel, which they could have gotten from either me or the family, they could have contacted the New York Times and said, hey, I see Ethel's daughter Shelly quoted in this article. How can we get in touch with her? They could have contacted me. I'm all over social media. The Lady Wrestler documentary has a website, you know, LadyWrestlerMovie.com. They could have contacted a local history organization here in Columbus called the Ohio History Connection that right before the pandemic held a huge, huge exhibit on the history of sports in Ohio and included women's wrestling in it. So there were multiple ways for the WWE to get, uh, I shouldn't say current, accurate footage of um, and photos of Ethel. And they could have uh, also contacted the University of Notre Dame, which has a huge wrestling archive, and which is where I found a lot of the um, archival material that I featured in the documentary. So there were numerous, numerous ways for the WWE to contact the family and to find accurate photos and footage of Ethel that actually had, like, Ethel's name on it. So you would know, okay, this is Ethel Johnson, not not her older sister Babs, which they used the picture of her older sister Babs, and this is Ethel wrestling, not not Sandy Parker. They used, you know, footage of Sandy Parker in the ring, and Sandy Parker came in the business years after Ethel did. So I think that was a puzzling thing about it is, you know, even if they weren't going to contact the family, even if that's not a customary thing they do with their induction, why not at least go through some channels to do some kind of like verification or fact checking that this was indeed photos and footage of the, the woman you're here investing. That just kind of boggles the mind with a organization that's as huge as the WWE, you know, and has, you know, you would think vast resources to do something like that. I'm guessing, and again, I don't know for sure, but the whole yeah. ceremony this year, uh, and maybe, the pandemic had something to do with it. I really don't see how, because you still have yeah. weeks to prepare. You've already made a decision that you're going to do your ceremony virtually. Yeah. But this year, it's, it seemed to, they didn't, they staggered their nom or their induction announcements so late. Okay. Uh-huh. So like even for the regular class, they, they didn't make any announcement until like you, until three weeks before. In prior years, yeah. they would announce it on their flagship show on Mondays, like one announcement sure. and then another and then another. This one was just – it's like they decided everything last minute. And even with the Legacy Wing, they had at least made announcements the week before or leading up to it, not the, during the okay. actual event. So I wonder if when, when they decided this, whoever put the footage together had so little time – because clearly there was no well, checks and yeah. balance. I, I don't know. This is just a, a theory on my part. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's a good point. And as a journalist, especially somebody who's worked for, you know, small weekly newspapers for a lot of my career, you are always, always under deadline pressure. And you often find yourself putting things together at the last minute. Like, you know, a lot of my career has been, you know, covering, like, city council meetings where you have to boil down these very complex pieces of legislation and get all the details right, you know, and then, you know, send it in within hours of when the meeting, you know, concludes. 
So that's not <laughs> that's not anything that has you know that is with you know without outside of the realm of possibility of you know anybody who works in journalism or anybody who works in broadcast news can tell you you know we are under constant deadline pressure and sometimes we make mistakes and have to go back and issue corrections. That's that's perfectly understandable because we're all human. We all make mistakes. What I think the family was upset about is even when Shelly Ethel's eldest daughter contacted the WWE and said, you know, hey, you used the wrong photo and the wrong footage, and they assured her that it would be corrected. I, I don't, to my knowledge, they never followed up with her. Somebody called Shelly and said, oh, it's been corrected, but they didn't, you know, give her a link to the corrected footage or, you know, how newspapers will frequently post a correction saying, you know, such and such photo that we ran was actually of so and so. Here's the correct photo. You know, accidents and mistakes do happen, especially when you're under a tight deadline. But again, you know, small community newspapers manage to make corrections. Mm-hmm. Large, large newspapers like the New York Times run corrections. CNN runs corrections. Um, you know, everybody. There's nobody who's under constant deadline pressure. You know, who hasn't made some kind of error. But it's just, it's not that difficult to, you know, correct an error like that. You just simply you know, ask the person who brought the error to your attention to please help them make the correction, and then, you know, you correct it and, and move on. It's it's not rocket science. Mm-hmm. Now, currently the WWE does have a lot of African-American female wrestlers. Uh, one of their champions is is right now uh, in Bianca Belair. Uh-huh. Have any yeah. of the African-American wrestlers, uh, male or female, sort of reached out to sort of learn more about this history that they might not have been aware of either? I don't. I don't know if they've reached out to the family. I'm sure the family told me because we've been in constant contact. If they said, "Hey, Bianca Belair contacted us," there have been a couple that have like tagged me. Either they've tagged me in social media, or um, someone else has like said, "Hey," um, and, I, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the names. It was like maybe one or two, but it wasn't. But I, I personally have not been contacted by any of the African directly, I should say, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's been like a couple of independent wrestlers who contacted me and said, oh, I'd like to know more about the documentary or, you know, I'd like to, to interview you, you know, for the podcast I have or whatever sometime, but none of them have, none of the, I should say, none of the like well-known marquee um, African-American female wrestlers have reached out. And, you know, maybe, maybe they've act, you know, because the, the documentary is on Amazon, maybe they went and watched the document because I have no way of knowing. You know, because Amazon doesn't disclose people's, you know, no, identities right. to me when when people buy or rent the movie. So it's possible they did go watch the documentary, but they haven't, you know, made any public statement about, oh, I'm so inspired by knowing about Ethel Johnson, or I'm so inspired by, you know, what Ramona Isbell said about, you know, triumphing triumphing over racism back when she was wrestling in the 60s. So no, there hasn't there hasn't been none of the African that I know of. I should say that I know of none of the well-known African-American female wrestlers have made a huge public uh, statement about the women who came before them. What's uh, next for you? Look, what's your next big project? So I actually, interestingly enough, I actually filmed a, another movie, another feature length movie in the summer of 2019 called things are tough all over. And I, I've just kind of been so busy um, uh, distributing and promoting lady wrestling. I haven't had a chance to, to really, um, finish post 
post-production on this movie, and it's it's actually set during the uh, Great Recession of 2008. It's called Things Are Tough All Over, about a black family struggling through that, um, through the, you know, foreclosure crisis. And what's really weird, it has these strange parallels to the pandemic because both parents lose their job and because they no longer have the income to send their kids to private school and don't want their kids to, to go to the neighborhood school that's kind of failing. They end up um, having to homeschool their children. So the husband and wife are like home all day with their kids, driving each other crazy. So it's really, it's really odd that it's just like I shot this movie right, the pan- right before the pandemic started. And, um, <laughs> you know, it was like art imitating life. Everything does seem to be cyclical, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really. And you know, you know what? An aside that's really strange is I've had that title "Things Are Tough" all over in my head for like years and years and years. And then one day, I was kind of randomly browsing Amazon, and there's a Cheech and Chong movie from the '80s called "Things Are Tough" all over. Um, and coincidentally, it's also set in Chicago, like my movie is. But I. I, I would have been like nine or ten years old when this movie was released, so I don't think my parents let me watch a Chong movie <laughs> that inspired this this movie I, I made. But it's you know who knows it's possible I, I saw it on like cable and 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 you know got got inspired by it somehow. But yeah, that's just a strange little another strange little coincidence. You know, I, I have to say I don't know that I've ever come across anything where people said they like Cheech and Chong, but I never heard them being in, cited as inspirational before. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Not that they'd remember if you told them. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, this is uh, thank you so much for all of that for being on this and where can people uh, find uh, Lady Wrestler? Yeah, so there's the website ladywrestlermovie.com. There's the Lady Wrestler Facebook page which is facebook.com/ladywrestlermovie. And then, you know, anyone can reach out to me personally. I'm at uh, Chris Borne, B-O-U-R-N-E-A, writer, like, you know, author, W-R-I-T-E-R, uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And I think on Twitter, I just just Chris Borne, at Chris Borne. Okay. Thank you so much, and hopefully we'll be able to chat again. I'd love to learn more about Thank the you. next project when that comes out. Thank you, Kirk. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to have a lot more content coming from us at notinhalloffame.com. Stay safe, everyone. Everyone. Everyone.